Thanks for today, and um, God, we're thankful that uh, we can gather together week after week and that we can uh, study your word, uh, that we can um, participate in worship uh, corporately as a family and, and give glory to you for all of that. And just grateful for the interactions that we get to have with one another, all the, the handshakes and the hugs and the, the hellos and all of those things, God. We're, we're grateful for those that you uh, have shown us grace in that we uh, can do that and that we can have these types of relationships with one another. Just pray today as we get into your word, God, that through the Holy Spirit that you would open up our minds and give us understanding. And God, that, uh, uh, that my words would fade away, but God, that you would speak to the hearts of those that are here, uh, including myself today. And so God, just thankful that you love us and thankful that we can come to you uh, in faith and ask that you would do such a thing and that we can know uh, that you will deliver. So God, thank you uh, for who you are and for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you want to go ahead and turn to Luke 15, we'll, we'll get there in just a, a second. But uh, um, like I said last week, we, we took this kind of zoomed out view of, of grace uh, from Ephesians chapter 2 and just looked at how the scripture says that, that we're dead in our sins, dead in our trespasses uh, from the moment that we uh, enter the world from the moment that we, we breathe our first breath, uh, we're immediately dead in our sin, dead in our trespass, spiritually declared dead. And God, because of his grace, because of his mercy, because of his riches, because of his kindness, makes a way for us to cross over from death into life, doing uh, the impossible, right? Um, and, and so as, as we think about that and think about grace, right, we, we, can, we can leave a message like that and think, okay, that, that's really cool, that God is gracious, uh, that, that God has given me the things that I don't deserve, that God has made this available to me, um, but, but what does all this mean? What do, I, what do I do with this? How do I respond to that? And so we're going to look at four different ways that we today can respond to grace. Um, but before we do that, just looking at, at Paul as he writes his letter to the Galatians, um, He's writing to them because they have inappropriately responded to grace. Right? Paul uh, went to this region of Galatia, and it wasn't even quite a year after he had been to Galatia to bring the gospel that they had gotten off uh, onto this, this false teaching. Right? People would come in and they would teach uh, another gospel, and Paul would even say that there, there really isn't even another gospel. There's only one gospel, but... These false teachers would come in and say, no, it's not about grace, it's not about this, but not only what God does, but you have to do some stuff too. And in this case, uh, they would teach that you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And so Paul writes this letter to the Galatians, getting them back on track, telling them, no, it's not, you don't, God has done it all, there's nothing that you have to do, right? And he corrects their thinking. We can easily read through a book like that and and think, man, those Galatians, like those guys are foolish. Like, why would they, why would they get off track? And, and, and if, if that's our, kind of our take on the Bible, we're, we're missing the point. We, we've got to read through a letter like the book of Galatians and realize that, that it's our tendency, our propensity to buy into a false gospel like the people of Galatia did. Um, we, we look at grace, right, and, and, and it messes with us. Um, I don't know for some of you guys that are part of 242 groups, uh, how your discussions went on Wednesday, but I know like in our group in particular, uh, grace, it kind of messed with us uh, in a pretty big way. I shouldn't say kind of because it, it messed with us. 
where we're talking through grace and there was just a lot of statements that were like, yeah, but, right? Well, yeah, yeah, grace, but, and, and, and it just, it messes with our thinking because uh, we, in our humanity, our, our grace is limited, right? It, it has an end, it runs out. And so it's hard for us, impossible for us to compute, to understand the, the grace of God that doesn't have a limit, that doesn't run out. And it's our bent, our propensity to, to look at this new life that, that God is offering us, this rebirth, this regeneration, and say, okay, well, what is it that I have to do to make this happen? Right? And we all, we all do it. We, we may not do it in the exact same way that we see as we read through Galatians, but we, we do. Because it's how we operate Right? You do something nice for me, I'll do something nice for you. Right? If I'm going to help you, if I'm going to come help you move, you're the first person I'm calling when I need help moving. Right? That's how we operate. And we, we tend to project that on our relationship with God. Okay, God has done these great things for us, has shown us incredible grace. Right? And our response to that is, okay, just tell me what I have to do now in order to... <laughs> earn this in order to deserve it. And that's how we approach grace. And so in that approach, there's kind of four, four ways um, that, that, that we can look at grace and four responses. Uh, and the first way uh, we're going to see here in Luke chapter 15, it's the, the story of the prodigal son or the prodigal sons, as, as some people have called it. And, and in this story, some of you are probably familiar with the passage. Uh, we have two sons, right? One of them uh, we would probably call the immoral son, and the other we would probably call the moral son. And let's just pick it up in verse 11 and, and read uh, part of the story. Luke 15, verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me, and he divided the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. We'll pause there for just a second. So kind of the first way that we respond to grace that we see in this story is that we abuse it. Right? We, we abuse it or we're fearful that, that if we are too gracious to other people, if we extend grace to people, that they will abuse it or really abuse us right? in, in doing so. And all of these things that we're going to look at, by the way, of how we respond kind of point to some disconnect in our understanding of what grace is and, and what it represents, what it means to us. And so in our abuse of grace... It's difficult for us, hard for us, maybe even impossible for us to extend it to other people, especially those who have harmed us, wronged us, or offended us in some way. And, and we see in this story here thus far the, the immoral son, right, kind of abusing the grace of his father, going to his father and basically saying, give me my inheritance now, right? And, and how many of you guys have ever, maybe even as a kid, uh, maybe as an adult, but especially as a kid, you kind of get this idea in your mind of something that you want from your parents and you, 
you kind of butter them up, right? Maybe you're good for a couple of days and then, you know, kind of building up to asking for, you know, maybe a big Christmas gift or, or whatever. Um, typically, when we go to our parents and ask things like that, um, we have a pretty good idea probably of what their response is going to be. And this son, I'm assuming, not, not wanting to read things into the text, but, but guessing that he may have had an idea of how his father was going to respond. It's kind of a, a big thing to ask for, and it's not something you just ask for on a whim. And so guessing he probably had some idea that, that maybe dad would, would capitulate when he asked uh, for his inheritance. And so he did. And, and, and how does dad respond? Dad gives him the inheritance, right? Neat, neat picture even just in that of, of God and his grace. But the son takes the inheritance and he squanders it away uh, in a very short amount of time and, and gets himself in a bind um, and, and, and gets to the point where now he's got nothing. And so we just see kind of this picture of the immoral son abusing the grace of his father, right? And, and we've got to be able to look at that and, and see the picture of you and I in that and, and how it's our tendency, our propensity, our bent to abuse the grace that God has given us. Paul even addresses this in, in Romans where um, he's talking about if, you know, just because sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And does that, does that give us license to abuse grace knowing that, that God will forgive us when we ask? And, and of course, the answer to that is no. Um, does it give us the right to abuse grace? But, it, but it's our fear, in particularly when we extend grace to others, that they're going to abuse it. How many of us, uh, I'll just speak for me, right? I've had, had times in my life, even in the not-so-distant past, like maybe a month ago, where you know somebody wrongs you, right? Somebody offends you, and, and, and maybe they, they even come back and apologize, like they realize what they've done. Maybe it was even unintentional. They offend you. Right? They come back and they apologize for their offense and they ask for forgiveness, right? And, and, and what, what, what was my response in, in this is like, they need to know that they messed up, right? They need to know that they did something wrong. So I, I, may, not, I may not forgive them right away or, may, or may, maybe I will like in my mind, but I'm not going to say it because I don't want this to happen, right? You're going to have this plan of this, this is how I'm going to make them sweat it, make them realize that, that, that what they did was wrong because I don't I don't want to be abused again. I don't want to I don't want to extend grace and then have this person re-offend me, right? Because I was too quick to say, oh, it's all good. Right? I abused grace in that. I was afraid of the, the abuse of grace in that. And that's that's how we tend to live. And maybe some of you have experienced something similar. Maybe you can resonate with that. Maybe your wheels are spinning right now thinking Gosh, is that me? Have I abused grace? And what is it that I'm afraid of, right? And, and, and again, in our abuse of grace or our fear of, of others abusing it, it's because we, we have a disconnect in our understanding of what it is. Let's continue reading in the story uh, of the prodigal sons, picking up in verse 17. It says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he was found. And they began to celebrate. And so we see just the response of the father, this beautiful picture of grace, right? For those of you that are parents, think about when, when your children have done something wrong, right? Or maybe, maybe some of you uh, who have had children that have grown, maybe, maybe you have experienced uh, having a wayward child, right? And like you just want them to, to come back to their senses, to come back and be a part of the family. But, but even if that's not you, just, you know, when our, when our children do things that are wrong that they're not supposed to, when they break the rules, right? We discipline them and we should, right? The Bible speaks of that, right? We should, um, but we just see in this story this beautiful picture of a father extending grace to his son, right? It says, well, he was a long way off. He, he saw his son, right? He didn't wait for his son to get home, right? If this was me, right, probably my response would be something to the effect of, it's about time, right? Or did you get it out of your system, right? Something like something kind of cynical probably would be me, right? Maybe that would be you too, Right? The father, it says, while he was a long way off, he saw him. Right? And even the fact that the son uh, would have the courage to come back to say that I'm going to go back to my father, that just speaks of really the, the, the father and who he is. Right, um, Just the fact that the son would know that it's okay would speak to uh, his father and the son knowing, I, I, know, I know dad's going to show me some grace in this, right? And, and so we even see that as, as part of the picture, right? But the second way that we can misunderstand grace or that we can, uh, in an unright way, respond to grace uh, is that we will analyze it, right? And we see this kind of played out with uh, the older brother. And so in verse 25, we'll pick it up there. It says, now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked, what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look at these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. So we see the, the older brother, the one that we would call the moral brother in this. And, and maybe some of you that have siblings can relate a little bit to this, that basically he's crying out, this isn't fair. Right? This isn't fair. My, my little brother was off squandering his portion of the inheritance. Right? He even used the word devoured. He didn't even call him his little brother. Right? He says to his dad, the son of yours. Right? Not, not my brother, but the son of yours. Right? It just shows his anger. It shows uh, his heart, the wickedness of his heart. The, the, even the moral brother, uh, the one that we would consider moral has wickedness in his heart. There's a lot we could say about that, but for the sake of time, we'll save for another day. But his, his reaction to his little brother who has been lost and now 
is found who was dead and now is alive, his reaction is, that's not fair. Right? When you think about it like that, it's like, who is this guy? Like, that, that's kind of, it's harsh. Right? But, but it's us. It's you and me. We, we, we analyze grace when we see grace shown to other people. Right? Maybe, maybe an example for some of us that, you know, maybe you were without work for a long time in, in this rough economy and you saw somebody else get a job or other people get jobs and maybe even jobs that you were qualified for, better qualified for, and, and maybe your response was something similar, right? That should be me. This isn't right. This isn't fair. I deserve it, right? And that's, that's the other brother that we see here, the older brother, the moral brother, saying it's not fair, Right? You never did this for me, Dad. I've been here all along, working hard. I've been a good worker. I've been a good servant. Building the family business. Doing right by you. I don't care that my little brother's back, the son of yours. You've never done this for me. You've never thrown a party for me. You've never killed the fatted calf for me so I could celebrate with my friends. Right? In our analysis of grace, the conclusion that we come to is that we are deserving, that we deserve it. Right? And that other people uh, are less deserving or maybe even not deserving at all. Right? And if that's you, if that's me, uh, again, it points to a disconnect in our understanding of grace. Because at the end of the day, if, if we read the Bible correctly, not, none of us deserve it. And if we, if we did deserve it, it wouldn't be grace. It would be something else, right? As a matter of fact, there's a parable about that, that that talks about, you know, at the end of the day, uh, maybe it's in Romans where it talks about at the end of the day, a worker gets paid his wages, right? He gets paid what's due to him, right? If we deserved grace, it wouldn't be grace. And so by its nature, grace is undeserved. None of us deserve it. And hopefully we, we got a glimpse of that last week. Right? But if your, if your analysis of grace is that, that, you, uh, that you deserve it in any way or that you are more deserving than, than somebody else, then, then you're, you're missing the point of grace. And this picture that we see of, of the older brother, the moral brother, the righteous brother, the brother that, that probably goes to church, right? the brother that probably helps out at things like free Christmas bazaars, right? that brother, right? That, that might be you, that might be me, it might be all of us in this room, it probably is all of us in this room, right? The moral older brother that thinks, I've, I've lived a pretty good life, right? I help people, I'm nice to people, I work hard, right? A little bit of that, that grace should come my way, right? That's, that's me, right? It's probably you. Right? We, we can look at the story and kind of the focus is on the immoral brother, right? That's why earlier I said the prodigal sons, maybe depending on how you read the story, right? The, it's easy for the focus to be on the immoral brother because he, he went out and, and like we could see what he did wrong. We, we, we see him in his sin. It's very, very blatant. But, but the older brother, it's a little bit harder to, to see his self-righteousness, a little bit harder to see his sin, and part of the reason that it's harder is because that, that's probably you and me, right? And it's always easier to look at other people and, and see their shortcomings than it is to see our own. That's what we see with the moral brother. So, so a wrong approach to grace is that, that we abuse it, 
a wrong approach to grace is that we would analyze it, right? We, we want to know what, what, what's the angle, what are, what are the strings that are attached to this, right? The, the older brother, there are strings attached to his grace, but the father in this story, no strings attached, no angle to his grace whatsoever, Right? And, and so, so, so we can abuse it, we can analyze it. Uh, the third way that we can approach grace, and we're going to turn to Matthew 18, is that we can accept grace. And that, and that sounds pretty good, right? To, to accept grace for what it is. And, and, and it is good, we should accept grace, right? But if we stop there, then we still have this misunderstanding of grace. And so let's look at... Um, the parable of the unforgiving servant, um, starting in verse 21. We have Peter coming to Jesus, right? And he asked Jesus this question. How, how many times should I forgive, right, someone who sins against me? And Peter, it says, should I forgive him seven times, right? And, and if you know anything about Jewish tradition, Jewish culture, Jewish culture would say that you forgive somebody three times, Right? You're being a good Jew if you can forgive somebody three times. And so Peter here decides, okay, I'm going to double it, and, and then I'm going to add one for good measure. So seven times, right? I'm a, I'm a super Christian, right? If I can forgive somebody that offends me seven times, that's pretty good. Right? So Peter goes to Jesus, you know, th- probably thinking, okay, I, I got Jesus, I'm, I'm going to forgive this, these people seven times. And, and what does Jesus say? His response is not seven times, but 70 times seven. Right? And what Jesus is not saying here is that you forgive somebody 490 times. Right? He's not saying that. He's just saying forgive people. Right? You should be forgiving. Right? It doesn't matter how many times that you would forgive. And so picking it up in verse 23 of Matthew 18, Jesus goes on to say this. He says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I'll just pause there for just a second. 10,000 talents, right? This is a big number here. Okay, one talent was equal to about 20 years' wages, right? So, so maybe a career, maybe a lifetime of, of work or almost a, almost a full career, right? That's one talent. This guy owed the king 10,000 talents, right? So some of you that are quick with math are realizing that's a huge Huge, huge number, right? That this guy never, ever could repay. Right? Picking it up in verse 25. And since he could not pay his master, ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt, right? He appealed to the mercy of his master, right? And even him saying, have mercy on me, I'll repay it. Like even that's kind of a ridiculous thing because this guy could never repay this ever. Probably couldn't even put a dent in it, right? You couldn't pay it fast enough. Like the interest would just cause it to grow so much that like you couldn't even pay it fast enough to make the balance come down, right? There's kind of this negative amortization at principle at work here. This guy couldn't repay it. So just a ridiculous thing that he would even say, I'll repay it. But the king, it says that he saw him and had, had mercy on him and he forgave him the debt, right? 
who of us would not be thrilled if that happened? If you got a call tomorrow from your mortgage lender saying you don't have to make the rest of the payments on your house, right? We'd throw a party, right? That would be a, and there's, there's no, not even a comparison here, but, but even that, like we would be thrilled. We would throw a party. We'd invite our friends over for dinner, right? Just being forgiven, something like that. And, and, and here's where we can misunderstand grace in this. Like we're good as long as the grace is coming our way, right? As long as we're the recipients of grace, and kind of, you know, backing up a little because we think we deserve it or we should have a little bit coming our way, right? As long as it's coming our way, we're good. We're good with that, but, but the story continues in verse 28. It says, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And that, that was about five months worth of wages. So by comparison, uh, not much at all. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Verse 29, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. This this is a pretty easy example to kind of see the disconnect with grace. Pretty easy to see because the, the one servant was just forgiven something he can never repay, and then he went to his other this other fellow servant who owed him just a tiny amount by comparison and demanded that it, that it be due, right? Pretty easy to see that example of, of a guy who's all about the grace coming my way, but, but I'm not going to extend it to others, right? And not only am I not going to extend it to others, but not extending it to someone who has wronged me, someone who owes me, someone who has offended me. And so in our acceptance of grace, where our disconnect is, is that we don't extend it to people particularly who have wronged us or offended us, right? And, and conventional wisdom would say that that's, that's probably wise. It's probably smart, right? You don't want to be a doormat, right? Probably a lot of us have had situations in our life where maybe something like this has been true, where we haven't issued forgiveness, we haven't extended grace, right, to people who have wronged us and, and, and have felt very justified and maybe... Um, you know, on some level, having a, a decent reason for doing so. But, but why is it? Why is it that we don't? Why is it that we don't do that? And, and I think if we, we go back to that, that story of the prodigal sons and look again real hard at the moral son, we kind of see some clues in there that, that, that unpack for us why we don't. Because, again, we, we think we're deserving of it. We think that we are owed. We think that it should be coming our way, but I think what the Bible would say to that is we're all sinners that are in need of a Savior. We all come into this world spiritually bankrupt. We all come into this world dead in our trespass, and so the playing field for all of us is level, whether you're moral or immoral, right? The playing field is level, like we talked about last week, Right in our in our badness, we're too bad to earn God's favor, but in our goodness, we're we're not good enough to earn it either. So so moral or immoral doesn't matter. Right, the the, the playing field is is absolutely level, and, and and if we understand that, when we begin to understand that, and I don't know that that's one of those things that like the light just comes on one day. Maybe it is, but it hasn't been for me. 
still trying to understand that, right? But, but as we grow in our understanding of, of that principle, we, we quickly realize that, man, I don't, I don't deserve anything. I'm not, I'm not owed anything. God doesn't owe me a thing. Matter of fact, but, but what we're quick to think is that I owe God, right? And the Bible would say that we don't owe God either, right? That's the other side of the coin, and, and maybe that's a, a Bible study for another day, even just talking about that. But, but we're quick to think, okay, I, I get that, I understand that I'm not owed, but, but, but man, I, I owe God, and so I've got I to work hard and live this obedient life to God. And, and yes, we should work hard, and yes, we should be obedient to God, but not because we owe him. Because, again, if we owe God, then, then it nullifies grace. Right? It, takes, it takes the power out of grace. It makes grace something that it's not. And so if we stop at simply just accepting grace, we're, we're, still, we're still missing it. We're still missing the point. Uh, we've got one more passage we're going to look at back in Luke, and it's Luke chapter 10. And we're going to look at kind of this fourth way that we respond to grace that, that shows, at least on some level, that we, that we, kind, of, we kind of get it. I, I don't know that we will ever like really get it, right? Grace is, is unfathomable and our minds are finite. And so we spend our whole lives on this earth growing in our understanding of grace, but I don't know that we're ever going to fully wrap our minds around it. One, one pastor that I listened to this week said that the only explanation for grace is grace. Right? We, we can't explain grace in a way that all of a sudden it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, I get it. That makes sense. Right? By, by its nature, grace doesn't make sense. By its nature, we don't understand it because it's counterintuitive. Right? So the only explanation for grace is that God is gracious. And, and that's it. And we, we're, we're not going to fully understand that, right? So the only explanation for grace is grace. But, but one of the things I think that shows that, that, that we're starting to get it is this fourth way that we respond to grace. And, and we're going to uh, be in Luke chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 25, the parable of the Good Samaritan, another story that's probably familiar to many of us. This fourth response that we're going to see is that, that we can administer grace, right? We, we can abuse it, we can analyze it, we can accept it, and all of those, we, we don't get it. We, don't, we haven't connected the dots, but when we begin to administer grace, that, that, that's a fruit showing that, that we're finally starting to, to have at least some level of, of understanding of what it is. And so in verse 25 of Luke 10, it says, Behold, a lawyer stood up and put him, meaning Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Right? Another one of those questions, right? How many times should I forgive my neighbor? It's another one of those kinds of, what, what, what do I got to do? Just tell me what I have to do. Right? Verse 26, he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Another one of those questions. How many, how many times? How many times do I have to forgive? Well, who, who's my, who do I have to love? Just tell me who to love. Like, tell me what I have to do. Right, kind of our, our human nature is like we, we, we do the minimum to just kind of get our foot in the door oftentimes. 
right? A lot of times we don't, we don't go above and beyond, right? A C on the test still passes. It's who we are, right? And so we've seen a few examples of this. Like, and these guys are asking the wrong questions, right? The question isn't, what do I have to do to be saved, right? You can't do anything to be saved. Then if you could, you wouldn't do it, right? Who is your neighbor? It doesn't matter who your neighbor is. The point is to love God and to love people, right? Because you love God. And if you love God rightly, you can't help but love people, right? It's not about going out and, and trying really hard to love people because some people, maybe all people, but some people especially are, are unlovable, right? How many of you know somebody who's unlovable, right? We probably all do or something that's difficult to love. So, so the point here is not try hard to love people. Again, we're asking the wrong question. But he goes on in verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a good neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Right? A lot we could get into in that too. Just you know, talking about Jews and Samaritans and their hate for one another and how they didn't get along. And again, another Bible study for another day. But suffice it to say that you know, like Jews and Samaritans, they didn't hang out. Right? They didn't, they didn't help each other out. Right? You know, like people that live in Bend kind of look at Prineville and like, uh, it's like the same kind of thing, except maybe maybe worse, right? Um, <laughs> I have this friend who I went to high school with. We grew up here together, right? And he moved to Bend, and now he's like, he doesn't like Prineville because now he lives in Bend and kind of funny. But same same kind of thing at work here, right? That the Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. They didn't get along. They didn't talk to each other, right? And so here, this Samar- like this is kind of an audacious story that this Samaritan would would not only help this man, but that he would go to the lengths that he went to in order to help this man. It's just a picture of grace, again, that we see here in the, this parable. right? And, and we, can, we can mistakenly read this parable and think, okay, I've I got to be a good Samaritan. Right? I've I got to help people, even people that I don't want to help. right? We can, we can get, okay, this, so this is what the Bible is telling me to do. Right? And, and, and again, it's, it's the wrong thing that we're focusing on. Right? And it will, even at the end of the parable, Jesus says, you go and do likewise. And we'll, we'll get into that in just a second. But, but it's not telling us necessarily that. Right? Because we, we can try as hard as we can. Right? We can try to help people, even people that, that we don't like or that have wrong. We can try and, and may, maybe some days we, we have the gumption in us to do it. Right? But, but most days we, we probably don't. Right? But even on the days we do, we probably do it out of a wrong heart anyway. Right? We probably are just trying to, to earn our grace and so our motivation even for doing something 
that's righteous, that's moral, that's good, is, is, it's a wrong motivation, right? And Paul even addresses that of what God thinks of our good works, right? This is gross analogy of, of our goodness, our righteousness, that he compares it to uh, a pile of filthy rags. And what that is, is is menstrual rags. This is a disgusting picture of what our good works amount to, right? They don't amount to anything, right? So, so again, moral, immoral, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. And so we could try really hard to be like this good Samaritan and help uh, our neighbor. We could even consider everybody our neighbor and try to help, and, and still we're, we're missing it. We're missing the point, right? And here, here's the point that, that we're missing in this. Because there's kind of two, two sides of grace that we have to look at. Right? And we're pretty good at looking at the side of grace that, that, that comes to me. right? That, that okay, I, we, we might even understand, okay, I don't, yeah, I don't deserve this. And you know, God has made this way for me to, to have new life, to bring me from death to life. And that, that's great. You know, like see the benefit that's in it for me. So we're, so we're good with that, but, but the, the part of grace that maybe we don't talk about so much and the part of grace that we have difficulty understanding is, is our depravity, our need for it, right? And you have to have those two pieces that go together. The, the bigger that our picture gets of our own sin, our own unrighteousness, our own depravity, our own ugliness, our own messiness, the bigger and bigger that that picture gets, the more that we understand grace, or maybe understand isn't the right word, but the more that we're thankful for grace and the more that we're able to respond in such a way as this good Samaritan. Right, if I were to tell you to, to go out and do, do something kind for your enemy, Right? Some of you would think that I'm crazy for even suggesting it. Right? Why in the world would, would this Samaritan go out of his way to, to help a Jewish man? Right? And not only help him, right? he, he put him on his own donkey. Right? He gave him a ride. He gave him shelter. He paid for it. It says he took out two, two denarii. Right? That's almost a year's worth of, of wages right? that this Samaritan put down for, for this man who he shouldn't have even been talking to, shouldn't even have probably looked at, right? Takes out almost a year's worth of wages and tells the innkeeper, if you spend more than this, I'll come back and I'll, I'll even make up for that, right? This, this is a crazy thing that's happening here. This isn't just a guy helping to stop somebody stranded on the side of the road, right? A lot of us have probably done that, right? See somebody with a flat tire, somebody needs help putting on their chains. Well, you know, we, we've done that, right? We, we can do that. That's not what's going on here. Right? This is crazy that this guy does what he does. It's crazy. So, so it begs the question, why? And then Jesus at the end saying, you go and do likewise, begs the question, how in the world do I do this? Right? Maybe some of you are thinking that right now. Maybe, maybe you have somebody specific in mind and you're thinking, how can I, how can I love my enemies? How can I? And it's a valid question. It's absolutely valid question and to answer that we're not going to turn there but just going to reference here in Genesis 12 right many of you are familiar with the story of of Abraham or Abram as he was known at this point in the story right later God changes his name from Abram to Abraham but in Genesis 12 God tells him that he would make him a great nation in other words that he would be prolific and he would have many offspring Right? And here's, here's the crazy thing about this. Right? At this point, 
Abraham, Abram, was 75 and his wife was 65, right? A little bit past probably the, the childbearing years. And for God to say that they're going to have so many offspring, right, that they would be considered a great nation, like, again, just kind of crazy. It's a crazy thing that God says, and, and Abram and his wife are kind of unlikely people for something like this to happen to. Right? Seems impossible, but that's the thing about God. He does impossible things with unlikely people. And, and isn't that good because we have a room here full of unlikely people that God does the impossible with. Like we discovered last week, God did the impossible by making a way for us to cross over from, from death to life. Right? An impossible, crazy thing. But he, but he tells Abraham in Genesis 12, he's going to make him a great nation. And here's what's even more crazy about this is this, this wouldn't happen for a while, right? By the time they had kids, right? They were a hundred. He was a hundred. She was 90, right? Even more impossible, even more crazy. But that's who God is, right? God brings life where there was death. And not only, not only was, was Sarah old, she was barren, Right? Maybe you didn't know that. She was barren. And so it just makes it even more audacious that God would say that and that God would choose them. Right, Her, her womb was dead and God put life in her womb. Right, And that's, that's what he does. And then in this, this Genesis 12 narrative, God tells Abram to pack up your stuff and go and I'll, I'll tell you when we get there. Right? And we don't, we don't read that Abraham questioned God, we don't read that he said, well, where are we going? Or, you know, which direction? Like, point me, like, we, we don't read that that's there. We, we read that God said, pack up your stuff and go, and Abraham packed up his stuff and went, right? How many of you guys, if, if I showed up at your house tonight and said, hey, let's go, you first question, you'd probably say, where? Right? Where are we going? Or what, what do I need? How long are we going to be gone? Right? They're legitimate questions. God said go, and, and, and Abraham went. So, so God in his grace visits Abraham and, and chooses Abraham and his wife, right? Through, they've not done anything at this point, right? God simply chooses them and says, I'm going I'm to bless you. I'm going to show grace to you. I'm going to show grace to your family. I'm going to make you a great nation. And, 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 and even as the story continues throughout the Old Testament, the narrative of the Old Testament, that ultimately the Messiah, the Savior, would come through this unlikely family, right? An old man and an old woman who can't have kids and that God is going to save the world through them, right? That's kind of crazy. And then if you read, at least through the rest of Genesis, like you see this, this family is like dysfunctional, right? There, there's, there's some crazy stuff in Genesis, right? I, several months back, I got to preach on Jacob, right? And maybe you remember that. Like that guy was a dirtbag and God used him, Right? Not only did God use him, but, but God identifies himself throughout the Bible as being the God of Jacob. Like, that, that blows me away. <laughs> Absolutely blows me away. Right? And, and you read about this family, like, this, this is not the family that you and I would choose that, that, that would usher in the Messiah. But it's the family that God, in his grace, in his kindness, in his riches, in his mercy, chose to usher in the Messiah and and. Abraham, I think, understands this. 
think he understands that I've done nothing to warrant this. I've done nothing. So, so when God says pack up and go, he packs up and goes. Right? His response to grace, Abraham's response to grace is, okay, let's go. Right? Think about that. Right? Abraham doesn't, he doesn't abuse the grace. He doesn't say, okay, I'm, I'm going to go over here, right, to this place that I want to go. Right? I'm going to go over to Sodom and have a good time. Right? He doesn't say that. Right? He doesn't analyze grace. He doesn't say, well, what, 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 what's the deal here? What are we doing? Where are we going? He doesn't do that. He, he just goes. Right? He, he doesn't just accept grace and that, okay, yeah, I, I, deserve, I deserve for God to tell me where to go. I, I deserve. He doesn't do that. Right? His, his response simply is to live in obedience to God. And here's the thing about grace, and here's the thing about these statements that Jesus makes to, to say, you go and do this or live this way. Right? We've got to understand that when the Bible says that, we've got to realize that, that we can't live that way. I can't. I can't live that way, and if I could, I wouldn't do it. You've got to realize you can't live that way, and if you could, you wouldn't do it. Because if you would, at least if you would do it, if you could do it, and if you would do it, there's no need for a Savior. There's no need need for grace. Right? So when we read the Bible and understanding that I can't do this, and if I could, I wouldn't, it kind of changes the way that we interpret Scripture. Right? Kind of a small thing, but, but big implications. It changes the way that we read Scripture. And so, so God didn't make this difficult uh, for us to understand. I mean, hard to do, but, but didn't make this difficult for us to understand, right? The only right response to grace and the evidence, the fruit that we, at least to some degree, have an understanding, a right understanding of grace is not only do we accept it, but, but then we become conduits. We administer grace. And so we have grace coming at us from God, but we also become conduits of grace to those around us. Right? This isn't something that we can do. This isn't something we can muster up. The only way that this happens, the only way that this Samaritan would go out of his way to, to go to the lengths to help this Jewish man to do what he did, the only way that that's possible, the only way that you can love people that wronged you, the only way that you can be a conduit of grace to people who have offended you is to have a right understanding of grace. Because it's the only, it's the only way that we can respond rightly. And if we respond in any other way, it's because we don't get it. Right, and some some of you are sitting here thinking, okay, this, yeah, whatever, just tell me what to do. <laughs> right, there's nothing to do. There's nothing to do. Absolutely nothing to do. When we we understand our depravity, when we understand our sin, like the servant in Matthew 18, when we realize there is no way that I can repay God in a million lifetimes. There's nothing I bring to the table, nothing I have to offer, nothing worthwhile about me. Right? When we understand that, and then we understand that the debt that we have been forgiven, kind of the natural, or maybe supernatural, maybe the supernatural response to that 
is that we begin to live lives that demonstrate God's grace. We can't force it to happen. We can't make it happen. Living lives that demonstrate his grace is a byproduct of understanding our depravity and his, his grace. And as those two things come together, then we, we begin to love our neighbors who are unlovable. Right? We begin to show grace to people that don't deserve it because we've been shown grace that we don't deserve. I, I hope that makes sense. I hope that, that connects some dots. And so, so we can't leave here today with our list of, okay, forgive people seven times. Right? Your neighbor is the people that live six houses down in both directions. We're not going to leave with that kind of a list today. We're not going to leave with a list that says just do these things, right? Take take cookies to the to the people whose dog poops on your lawn, right? We're not gonna it's not it's not it. Right? And so between last week and this week I'm I'm hoping that that we've kind of developed this this kind of big picture, this overview of grace, and then today hopefully uh, ways that we sinfully respond to grace and the one right way that we can respond to grace. And so would simply just leave you with a question of how is it that you are responding to grace. And if you're responding in one of those first three ways, there, there's a disconnect in your understanding. And, and that's okay because, you know what, there's a disconnect in my understanding. Um, e- even, even if I get it today, even if I get it for right now, there's going to be a disconnect in my understanding tomorrow. And like the Galatians, I'm going to go back into this false gospel that says I need to do something for God because he's done for me. I'm going to fall back into that and I need... People, I need you guys, gospel community. We need each other to remind each other that, hey, no, there's nothing. we can Just like the Galatians, and Paul had to remind the Galatians, hey, here's the gospel. right? That's, that's part of what we do every week here, is that we need to be reminded of, of here is the gospel. Here's what it is, and here's what it isn't. And the, what the gospel isn't is saying that you have to do anything for God. right? And even that, for some of you, like that's kind of messing with you right now, and that's good. It's okay. It's okay, right? We, one pastor says that grace is, is scandalous, and it is, because it's so against our nature, so against what we would do if it were up to us. Right? So grace is we're, we're going to take communion here in just a second, and Kendra, you can come on up. and <clears throat> Even communion, you know, we, we, we have that here available most weeks, and even something like that can easily just become our routine. Right, part of what we you know we come and we we sing a few songs and we we greet each other and listen to a message and take communion and sing another song and maybe we go home or go to lunch or you know, we kind of have our routines. But but even even communion, you guys, is a reminder and a picture of grace. Right, the Bible says that, that as often as you do it, right, whether it's every day or every week or once a month or what as often as you do it, that, that we would remember Jesus, that we would remember grace, right? It's just crackers and juice, nothing, nothing special about the stuff on the table, but, but what it represents is what's special, right? And the Bible says that if you don't know grace, if you have not come to that understanding, if you have not Put your faith in, in Jesus that communion isn't for you because it's a reminder for the Christian of the grace that God has shown us. 
right? And, and, and I don't say that to, to make this an exclusive thing because it's not, right? But in order for there to be meaning and purpose in the remembering of grace, you have to understand to, to a degree grace. And so if you're here today and, and you've not put your faith in Jesus, if you've not depended on him for your life, communion is not for you, but, but, but that's an easy, easy fix. If you're wrestling through some of this stuff and curious about grace and wondering how, how can this be available to me, then the Bible would simply say to, to trust, simply put your faith in Jesus. And we talked a little bit about this last week. Of, there's a difference between faith and belief, and so it's more than just believing that God exists, right? That, that we would believe in such a way that it affects how we live. And so if that's you today and you're wrestling through this, the Bible would say believe, but believe in a way that, that changes the way that you live, right? That you would live in obedience to him. And if that's you and you're coming to that point in your life today, that, then the communion table is open for you as well. But for all of us here today, as you take the cracker and as you take the cup, that we would remember grace. That we would remember the grace of God in making a way for us to, in our death to, to be reborn and to come back to life because that, that's really the picture that communion is meant to represent, right? God and his grace. So we're going to do this last song and you can just come up at, at whatever point and take communion, but just be mindful of grace because that's what it's all about is grace. Let me pray for us before we do this. God, today we're, we're grateful and your word says that, that even when we are faithless, that you remain faithful. And God, how awesome is that? God, we're thankful that you have made a way for us to come from death to life, something that uh, in the natural is impossible. But God, that you have, have made it possible for those of us who are spiritually dead to have life breathed into us simply because you're gracious, God, not, not because there's anything in us that's worthy or lovely or deserving, but simply because, as Ephesians 2 tells us, that you have chosen to show us your kindness, that you have chosen to put on display your riches in mercy for all of time. So, God, we're thankful thankful that you are gracious to us and we're thankful God that we can gather together as gospel centered community and be thankful for that together and that corporately we can take some time out of our week God to worship you that we can take time out of our week to remember grace and to be mindful of it so God as we go about the rest of our day today as we go about the rest of our week God I pray that uh, our picture, I pray that my picture of grace would just continue to grow, that it would continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger. God, I pray that, that you would give me, that you would give us a right understanding, God, of our depravity, our need to be saved, and God, your saving grace. So God, thank you again for today. Thank you that you've made it available for us to take communion specifically.
You've been listening to the teaching ministry at Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon, 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.